welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your hosts, Peter. And I'm your other host, Eden. And we are back with what we started calling the summer of X. It has now turned into the fall of X. And I don't know what it's like where you are, Eden, but here there's a whole lot of snow. So it's starting to feel like the dark winter of X as well. Oh, yeah. Today is the scary shift day that you sometimes get here in the Midwest where it was 80 degrees at 10 a.m. this morning. Oh, my. And it will be... 20 when i wake up to take the dogs out tomorrow morning oh that's brutal and we and and you watched it go across the state like i you know i have my little like weather app in the corner of my windows install and i just watched the temperature tick down all day just tick 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 and you're like it is 3 p.m it should not be getting colder than it was at 2 p.m and yet right and yet here we are it's weird. It's weird when it's that final change. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we had a brief period of kind of nice fall here, and then it just decided uh, to start snowing the other day and, and has just been kind of snowing. And it's not terrible today, but it's fairly cool. I mean, it's, I guess right now, my little thing says that it, it is uh, 24 degrees outside. I don't know how accurate that is, but, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's definitely feeling like um, feeling like winter, and I'm not ready for it to feel like winter. I was hoping for at least a little bit more. That's that's fair. We had we had a pretty good run of fall time, which was nice. Um, we, you know, uh, I don't know that I've mentioned it to you either on or off uh, the mic, but. The Iowa Department of Natural Resources sells uh, bare root plants in the in the fall and the spring. Okay. And so for extremely economical prices. Uh-huh. So we bought 50 bushes that oh. showed up last week. Oh, um, my. Bare root. Yes. Um, and we ended up planting between 35 and 40 of those this weekend. That is a lot of planting. It is, and it, thankfully they're they're not big. They're like a foot tall, most of them. They they were bare root, so we didn't have to dig like you know four foot wide holes because of the the already existing uh, you know pot soil pot in, in the pot. Um, but we still it was still forty holes we had to dig this weekend to plant these things. Um, but it was really exciting. We did some. It, they sell uh, almost all either native. Or a few just like things that really thrive here without being invasive. Um, but we bought 25 Aronia bushes and 25 Button bushes. Nice. Um, so we planted, like I said, we planted 35 or 40. The Aronia will give us some really nice berries. It's called Chokeberry also, if you're okay. familiar with Chokeberry. Yep. Um, so after they mature for a couple, three years, they'll start giving us a fair amount of berries while also being like nice, big shady bushes. Um, and then the button bushes just have really pretty flowers on them. So we planted those out in the sunnier areas cause they do, they need a lot of sun. And then the aronia are in some partly sunny areas kind of behind our, our garage and, uh, just really excited about them. It was a lot of work, but we're excited to have, you know, a bunch of new plants and, uh, if it goes well, and I think it will, we'll probably end up buying a bunch of trees next spring or fall and uh, 
and, and planting some more trees all over our property. We got a lot of land and we're tired of mowing it. So <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. We have, we have a half acre and I do not have a riding mower. So that's a lot. It takes about three and a half hours. If you try to mow the whole lawn. Yeah, no, that's, but, uh, that's a little too, that's a, that's a long time. Needless to say, we hire a neighborhood kid to uh, do the outside of our fence um, at a, a, an exorbitant rate, but better than having to do it ourselves. And then this last year, like for the past couple years, Cassie has, Cassie, my partner, has mowed a path into the backyard where she can just kind of stroll. And so she'll often go out with the dogs and just like, leisurely walk along the path um and so the path is like it's it's uh shape has ebbed and flowed a little bit what we really have kind of uh settled on on a shape of the path at this point so a lot of these bushes in the backyard are going to help kind of define the path a little more clearly um and also we just stopped mowing a lot of the rest of the yard that wasn't in the path because it was in the backyard and we were like if someone complains to the city, we'll mow it. And if not, oh, well. So there are entire portions of our lawn that never got mowed this year. And that feels so powerful to say, <laughs> screw you, the city, with your draconian rules. Uh, screw grass. Grass is terrible. It's one of the worst plants on the planet. I hate it. Why we are trying to make our yards look like 17th century France, I will never understand. Uh kill all the grass and plant some other stuff. That's what I feel about it. <laughs> there you go. Well, anything you've been checking out lately that you wanted to uh, mention on the pod before we jump into our discussion of this X-Men movie? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned last time that I had been playing Persona 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, I beat it. Um, I did. I am, I am replaying it because, because I didn't see the vast majority of the expansion content because persona Royal is one of those games where you make a lot of connections with people and you need to keep visiting those people to make your connection with them stronger. You know, lots of RPGs do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, mass effect does that. You got to go talk with your crewmates and become friends with them so that you can have your cute romance with Liara. How else are you going to kiss her? Um, but anyway, there's a lot of people you got to go talk to in Persona 5. And one of them in particular, you have to get to a rank 10. You have to get them fully ranked out, maxed out, if you want to see basically the entire third semester of the game. Oh, wow. And I hated this person. So every time it was like, do you want to go talk to this person? I'd be like, no, he's the worst. So I did not see the entire third semester. But what that means is that I essentially saw the ending the original ending of the original game so that felt it was it was climactic it was fun it was big it was everything i killed god it's a jrpg i this is not a spoiler i killed god you kill god <laughs> in nearly every jrpg it's the way jrpgs are designed it's great through friendship you find and murder god it's beautiful love it um did that it was great but then i was like how come i never saw any of the I thought there was supposed to be a third semester. So then I did some reading and I found out what had happened. And that's when I realized, oh, this is what New Game Plus is for. Mm. Because a lot of your stats and stuff carry over. 
uh, like your like your personal stats. So I'm maxed out on everything. My per, my my knowledge, my uh, charm, my guts, all that stuff maxed out. So I never have to study. I never have to, you know, read books to get charm. I, I'm maxed. So all I can do on this second playthrough, hang out. I'm just hanging out with everyone. It's just constant vibes and killing shadows in, in the combat part. It's great. I'm having a great time. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you you enjoyed it and and are are having fun going through it a second time. I mean, legit, like, I think Persona 5 cracked my top 10 goats. Wow. I think it's in my top 10 best of best games of all time. It was really good. You know, I've heard a lot of people who really, really feel strongly about it. So, I I did not expect to feel that way about it, uh, but I really, really liked it, um, and I'm eager to play more games by this publisher uh, and developer. So, Shin Megami, Shin Megami Tensei Three Nocturne HD Remaster in the mail right now. We'll be here on Saturday. Very excited. Nice, nice. Anything? How else? about yourself? No, I mean Andor. Andor is still good every week. Can't wait for you to watch it so we can talk about it. Oh, I need to get on that. Um, no, you know, honestly, not much for me. Um, a fair I mean, bit. I know that we have we have both been busy with the thing we'll talk about in the next episode. So. Yes, and that's what I was going to say. Is a fair bit of my time has gone to that. I haven't been playing anything lately. You know, in terms of watching. Now that we finished up She-Hulk, I finished up uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, finally. Um, We're just kind of, you know, it's Lego Masters and uh, British Bake Off on Sunday night, which are my, like I've said before, my Zen TV shows to help uh, stave off the existential dread of going back to work on Monday morning. But uh, I, I have been listening to some music. And there have been a few things that have stood out. One in particular that has really been, uh, it's really been a jam lately for me. I've really gotten into it is uh, a band called the Autolith. Now, anybody who may be listening, yes, Autolith, I should, I guess I could say Otolith, O-T-O-L-I-T-H, like the little stones that are in our inner ears to help us with our balance. Um but the album, well, so the Otolith came, sort of rose out of the ashes of the band Sub Rosa. Uh, have you ever heard of Sub Rosa, Eden? I feel like I've listened to them before. That name is extremely familiar to me. So Sub Rosa was a sort of, I refer to them as post-Doom, kind of a post-Doom band out of actually Salt Lake City. And it was, uh, it was post doom with some strings and some female vocals and is very much, uh, about the atmosphere as so much of the music that I would characterize in the post something category. You know, it's, it's in this case, it's doom, but it's doom with a real heavy focus on the atmosphere and the otolith sort of rose out of those ashes and released a new album a few weeks ago. And it is absolutely divine. It is fantastic. It is, it is heavy. It is moody. It is quiet. It is introspective. There's some great, lovely, you know, female vocals. There's some really great growls and screams and through it all weaves just these lovely, I think it's a violin and a viola in addition to the, to the heavy stuff. And so that's probably been the one thing that has, 
that, that has most dominated my listening lately. Uh, and is the, I, I think the thing, if I was to recommend anything, I'd say, Hey, if you like music in general, doesn't need to be doom because it's varied enough. Go check out the Odolith. I, I think that, I think that uh, a lot of people who may not necessarily think of themselves as fans of metal could find some really interesting things to, uh, to like about this album and this band. So that it's probably about it. Very cool. Uh, I have, uh, I stumbled onto some music in the last week or so that I've been listening to a lot of, um, which is, uh, an album by an artist named Daniel Rosen or, or Rosen. I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name. Um, he is, uh, one of the, uh, instrumentalists from the band Grizzly Bear, um, which is kind of a, like a weird experimental, uh, an experimental alternative sort of, they, it's kind of folksy, but not really folksy. Um, I don't know how to describe them. Okay. Um, but anyway, he put out his first uh, solo album this year. Um, it's called uh, You Belong There. And the vibes are just immaculate. It's just a very cool album. Lots of um, acoustic guitar and multi-layered vocals and really... Um, kind of poignant songwriting and, and and just has really good vibes so really highly recommended if you want something a little a little lighter um and, and just really uh just kind of a good fall music that's how i would describe you belong there it's good fall music excellent very cool well, let's go ahead and let's move on to the topic of the day, something that I think we're both looking forward to talking about and finding out what our thoughts were. But then in our rewatch of the X-Men saga, we have made it all the way to X-Men Days of Future Past. Now, I know that Days of Future Past was a pretty significant story arc in the X-Men comics, but beyond that, I know nothing about it. So I don't know if this is taking from that at all, if it is related, if it is a riff on that or what. So I can't answer that. You probably could because you, you, you are the, definitely the one with the comics knowledge between the two of us. But a, a couple things about this before we get into kind of a, a, a quick summary and then really just focus on what were our thoughts? What did we think about this? In looking at Rotten Tomatoes, it would appear to me that by a reasonable margin, this is the highest ranked X-Men movie on Rotten Tomatoes. I think leaving out, uh, I don't think that's true. I think Logan might be higher. Um, but in terms of ones that, you know, kind of are in this main, most of the characters, uh, this one is ranking pretty doggone high. Uh, yep. Logan beats it by uh, 4% at 94. But... X-Men Days of Future Past is sitting at a solid 90% on, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which puts it ahead of uh, X-Men First Class, puts it ahead of X-Men, puts it ahead of X2, uh, and, and really kind of, from a critical standpoint, puts it up in, in sort of the upper echelons of the X-Men movies. Um, I'm going to go through a really fast, as much as, as fast as I can, 
uh, plot summary. So uh, if you haven't seen this movie from 2014 by now, I guess you may want to stop and go watch it and then come back. But uh, anyway, I we're going to spoil. <laughs> y'all, y- y- y'all know the the gimmick at this point. You know, we're, you're going to hear all the deets. That's exactly right. Now, before I go into the summary, though, I wanted to make sure that I clarified which version of X-Men Days of Future Past did you watch, Eden? Um, I watched the one streaming on Disney Plus, which is not the Rogue cut because Rogue was in it for all of one to maybe two seconds, even though she had higher billing than Elliot Page. What the hell, movie? <laughs> so- that's what, and that's what I thought. I thought that we had discussed that you were going to watch whatever was on Disney Plus, which we assumed was probably the theatrical release. And then I actually went ahead and watched the Rogue cut. So we'll be able to talk about whatever differences there are between there. Um, but this is, you know, and, and one of the things that Days of Future Past, at least to me, felt like it was trying to do is it's trying to really sort of unify our two segments of X-Men movies. We've got uh, the original X-Men movies that kind of, you know, include the Wolverine and and X-Men origins, but, but culminated in the last stand with the, you know, Logan killing Jean Grey and, and, and all that. And then you've got, you know, X-Men first class, which was kind of like this new group. And this is kind of bringing these two together. So it starts off and we've got this dystopian future. Everything's destroyed. It's dark. These sentinels, these, you know, robotic um, creations have been programmed to hunt down mutants and any humans who help them. There is a group in uh, Moscow of X-Men survivors, including Kitty Pride, Colossus, Blink, Warpath, Bishop, Iceman, and Sunspot. Basically, a bunch of them are sacrificing themselves as Kitty is sending Bishop's consciousness back in time to warn them to get out. And so all of a sudden, as everything is going to heck, I don't know why I just said heck, whatever. Um, (laughs) As everything is just like everybody's dying, the Sentinels are destroying them. All of a sudden, poof, all the damage goes away. The place where they are is empty and they're gone. They retreat to a Chinese temple and all of a sudden up shows the... Uh, classic, you know, X-Men ship, plane, whatever it is. And out comes Storm, Wolverine, Professor X, and Magneto. Professor X explains about the Sentinels who are designed by Bolivar Trask, a military scientist who Raven, a.k.a. Mystique, had assassinated in 1973. In response to her assassinating Bolivar Trask, the government had captured Raven, experimented on her, and used her DNA and her ability to sort of shapeshift and change appearance, things like that. Uh, Used that to build the Sentinels, which then created Sentinels that could adapt to nearly every mutant power. So the plan is that, um, you know, Kitty Pride and Bishop have been using this ability where she can send his consciousness back in time a few days uh, to warn them. And Professor X says, well, we need to prevent Trask's assassination using the same technique and change the future. Um, Kitty Pride says, you know, nobody can go back that far. It will destroy your, your mind. And of course, what happens, Wolverine says, well, what if you could heal just as fast as this is destroying your mind? Uh, I'm cool. Send me. 
So Logan gets transported back his consciousness to 1973. He goes to the X mansion, finds out from Hank McCoy, AKA beast that the school has been closed for years. Many of the students were drafted in the Vietnam war and Magneto has been arrested for assassinating John F. Kennedy, who we later find for Magneto, uh, that he was, he's a mutant as well. Uh, a young broken Xavier who has been shot has turned to alcoholism and is using this weird serum, which again, we'll talk about the, cause it doesn't make sense to me that makes it so he can walk. So it heals his spine, but it turns off all of his telepathic abilities. Um, Xavier agrees to help Wolverine. They go and they get Peter Maximoff. They bust, uh, Eric, uh, AKA Magneto out of the Pentagon prison that he is in. Raven finds out that Trask has been experimenting on mutants, and this is what leads her to want to assassinate him at the Paris Peace Accords. Xavier, um, Beast, and uh, Logan kind of foil her attempt, but all of a sudden here comes Magneto, and he tries to kill Raven, thinking that this will prevent the Sentinels from ever coming into uh, existence. Um, Hank McCoy fights him. It allows Raven to escape, but it exposes all of them as mutants, and in the process, Raven gets shot in the leg. Trask takes advantage of this and uses this to convince President Nixon to initiate the Sentinel program. Eric manages to go and get his uh, psychic blocking helmet out of military custody, uses that to take control of Trask's Sentinel prototypes by infusing them with metal because they weren't made with any metal. They were made with a space age polymer. That's the term the movie uses. Going back to the X-Mansion, uh, Professor X abandons the serum, regains his mutant powers, and communicates with his future self, who kind of inspires him to listen to Logan to really become the man that he needs to be. And then they use Cerebro to find Mystique. They go to Washington, D.C. in a, an attempt to stop Raven's plan to assassinate Trask yet again. There's a big ceremony in front of the White House. President Nixon unveils the Sentinels. They're searching for a disguised Raven Magneto appears. He's controlling the Sentinels and he has picked up the Robert F. Kennedy Memorial stadium and has used it and carried it through Washington, DC and dropped it around the white house to kind of barricade everybody in, in the midst of all this Magneto impales Logan with a whole bunch of rebar, throws him into the Potomac river, which starts to cause problems because now he's stuck in the past, but in the future and yada, yada, Nixon and Trask and uh, a, a disguised mystique or Raven, they go into the White House bunker, which Magneto then rips out, rips open, and is ready to basically kind of uh, to kill them. We flash forward to the future. All of a sudden, a bunch of Sentinels manage to track uh, down where they are. They uh, start attacking them. They're trying to buy more time. Magneto's seriously injured. Finally, Raven, she openly shows herself as a mutant, subdues Magneto with a plastic gun, which ends up saving Nixon in his cabinet. She's about ready to kill Trask, but Xavier is able to talk to her and kind of convinces her to spare him. And so now there's a mutant who is publicly seen saving the president. And so the entire Sentinel program is decommissioned. And eventually Bolivar Trask gets thrown in prison for trying to sell military secrets to foreign military officials. Bam, Wolverine now wakes up at the school in the, what we can assume, I guess, is present slash future. And he sees everybody who was dead. They're all now back and everybody's happy and hunky-dory, including Jean Grey. And, uh, you know, it's obvious that Logan's, um, his, his 
present is way different than the body he woke up in. So he talks to Xavier, who says he's going to fill him in on everything that's happened from 1973 to then. And then we flash back to 1973, where Logan's being fished out of the Potomac by Raven, who is disguised as Major William Stryker. And then there's a post-credit scene that sets up the next one, which is dumb because it's not even setting up what the next one was really. It was just thrown in there so that they could do something. So there's the plot summary. Eden, tell me what your thoughts were about X-Men Days of Future Past. This movie kind of slapped. Okay. This movie maybe deserved the reputation that it had as one of the best X-Men movies, which I was surprised by. I expected it to be bad, but here's the thing. All of the actors from the first class timeline are better, except for Fastbender. I liked Fastbender better in first class. Everyone else though, better in this one. Yeah. J-Law better. Holt better. Uh, what's his face? Guy who plays Professor X. Can't think of his name right now. James McAvoy. Better. James McAvoy. Mac- all better. The special effects, the, especially the uh, the costuming effects, much better. Mystique looked much better. Beast yeah. looked like more like Beast this time. Definitely. Um, it looked more, and I don't know if it was more practical effects this time around or if it was just better CGI, but it definitely looked more real. It looked more practical, like actual f- hair slash fur instead of, you know, painted on uh, bad CG. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not perfect. I still don't know. I still think that it's not as good as X-Men and X2, but I think that this has moved into a, a, a good close third to those. Okay. What did you think? I think that this is probably so far the most well-made of the X-Men movies that we have watched. Oh yeah. And I intensely disliked watching this movie. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) let's go. (laughs) And so I'm looking forward to talking to see if I can figure out why I have and always have had such a viscerally negative reaction to this movie because I remembered when I was getting ready to watch it. And and as we'd been building up to this, I remember thinking, man, the last time I watched days of future past years ago, because I didn't watch it. uh, I think I saw it when it first came out. And then when the rogue cut came out in 2015, I got that on iTunes. I watched it then and never wanted to watch this movie again. And so I remember thinking back going, okay, is there, why, what was going on here? Why do I not want to watch this movie so, so bad? Uh, and, and it was done. And uh, again, my youngest and I, we watched it together and I turned to him and he was like, wow, that was, that was pretty good. And I said, it's a decent movie that I said, I did not like at all. And I do not ever want to watch this movie again okay (laughs) i don't know that i uh, here's the thing i said that it was a solid third and i agree and i i think that that's a very reasonable place to put this movie i mean i still don't know i don't i don't know that i'll ever watch it again though yeah i I don't know that there's any real reason to watch any of these again honestly (laughs) at least the ones we've watched so far 
and and maybe that's what this uh, this whole project is. It's it's a benediction to the X Men as a series and saying goodbye forever, X Men. I don't ever feel the need to watch these movies ever again. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's a good I, I way will to say, I, I will say that there were some. It made some choices that I would have done different. And if I had been in charge, what I thought of would have been so much better and so much more in character. Okay, let's hear. Here's my biggest one. And this is the part where I, this is the part where the movie sort of lost me a little bit. So Magneto goes and he infects all of the Sentinels with metal. Mm-hmm. Cool scene. And I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Why is he why is he ripping the train tracks up behind the train? That's not going to stop it. And then I realized what he was doing. He was infecting all of the Sentinels with metal. And I was like, okay, okay. I see where you're going. Because remember, space age polymer. Space age polymer. Space but age so polymer. then he, he shows up. He knows, he knows Mystique is going to make an attempt on the president's life. And so he picks up the freaking baseball stadium, which is this. This is stupid. This was stupid. It's stupid in the same way that in the very first X-Men movie, them diverting the stupid Golden Gate Bridge to get to Alcatraz was stupid, too. It was just one of these. You mean in X3? That's not in the first one. That was in X3. Yeah, in X3. I mean, yeah, it was a similar kind of stupid where it's like, you don't need to do this. This is just dumb. No. Real dumb, real, real dumb. It's just a stupid excuse for why no one else is in that scene. And like there are, you could have come up with a better conceit than that. Regardless, what I thought and what I wrote in my notes was, LOL, Magneto is making himself the savior of people. This is effing brilliant. And Mm -hmm. then he didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Dog, you know... She's going to go kill the president. So you show up and you use the Sentinels to look like they're attacking the president to discredit Trask. You save the president's life and then you create the better future that you wanted the whole time. Eric, I gave you all the Mr. Policeman. I gave you all the clues. (laughs) And then he just went full supervillain and i'm like dog why did you take him and go full supervillain that was one of the parts i liked about first class is that you were like he's clearly conflicted he's not full supervillain and then it's like well let's make him full supervillain even after being like oh no i was trying to stop the assassination of jfk and i was like okay he's not me he's they're building off of that characterization they gave magneto in first class where he's less of a villain not even just a sympathetic villain which is what we got in mckellen's portrayal of him so often but like a conflicted anti-hero. And then sure. he had to go full stupid ass supervillain at the end. Yeah. And Mystique got to be the hero. And I was like, okay, so what you're telling me is J-Law had a better agent for this movie. <laughs> That's probably accurate. No, you're so right. Because there is literally, literally no reason why Mystique should be the savior mutant. Because she's A, the worst. B, it doesn't make as much sense. No. Magneto should have Magneto should have done it. Magne- and Magneto would have done it if Fastbender had a better agent. That's all I have to say about that. 
Well, and you bring up a really interesting point because, and I think, and again, this is, this is why I wanted to talk about this to understand some of my negativity towards this movie. And that's one of the key points is, you know, we, we see, I think that for the most part, Fassbender plays Magneto very well. Like I like him. Oh, he's just as I like him he's just as charismatic time. as he was in the last movie. Yeah, but absolutely. he's just this full supervillain, and well, I don't just like because that. It's, but the problem is, is that it conflicts too much. We've got him. I mean, even kind of the this not full supervillain, but it still is kind of it feels a little out of character to me when he decides he's going to kill Raven at the Paris uh-huh. Peace Accords to, to stop the whole thing. Like the whole time, Agreed. there's just these decisions where you go, this, is, this isn't jiving with who you told us you were in the previous film, but furthermore, doesn't seem to jive with the bits of Magneto that we get in the future, played by Ian McKellen, who is now there yep. with Xavier helping fight off the Sentinels, and ultimately, Part of the team. as far as we know, potentially sacrifices himself to give them more time to try and reverse this future. Uh-huh. And, and so it's such a bizarre, just a few character choices they made with Magneto that make you go, did you guys even really know the character you were writing here? Or did you just yeah. get to a point where you're like, well, and now we need a big bad. So here we're going to make Magneto because he's the antagonist. And we got to set him up so he'll be the antagonist down the road again. And it just, it was disappointing because they had, as you pointed out, a much more interesting conclusion to this that could have still led to the Sentinel program going away and this whole bright and happy future that we see, but in a way that... I think was truer, was more true to the characters and especially more true to the characters who matter. There is no question in my mind that like you said, because Jennifer Lawrence was pretty, you know, she was, she was, she was hitting while the skillet was hot back there in the mid 2000 and teens and her agent got her in there as she's the biggest star. She's going to be who we're hinging these movies off of. And that was such a wrong choice. Mm Hmm. Yeah, it really is. Well, and here's the thing. It's like the flash forward back to the, to the present of the film at the end. Everyone's alive. Yeehaw. Great. Stupid. I hated that so bad. Why did you, why did you, why did you give Cyclops the worst sunglasses on God's green earth? What have you done? A. Everything about that just did not work for me. B. Everyone's back. Here's the, the thing is you could have made a better, more interesting status quo because what if they had done what I said. Magneto is the hero. And then Wolverine goes back to the future and Magneto is co-running the school yes. with Professor X. And things are different and the world is more like techno-futuristic and like it could they could have blown up the status quo in a so much more interesting way, but they just didn't do it. No, they didn't. And 
And I and and, and I see why they did what they did. I get it. I understand why Jean, Jean Grey is alive again. I get why Cyclops is alive again. This is Singer coming back to his series that he did the first two movies of mm-hmm. and taking the fattest shit he can on X3. Just like... <laughs> Popping down and taking the biggest dookie he can on everything X3 did. That's what he's ultimately doing with the end of this movie. It was in that regard. It reminded me a lot of uh, the rise of Skywalker and the last Jedi where it felt like, I mean, you know, you've got, um, oh gosh, what's his face now? Why can I not remember who directed the Force Awakens and the La- and the Rise of Skywalker. Abrams, JJ Abrams, JJ Abrams, criminal. Coming back JJ to, Abrams to you know same thing, just like drop trow and Dookie all over everything that was set up in the Last Jedi, and yeah, it, it really did. It was like no, I'm going to undo all of this, which mm, I don't know. It, it felt it felt like too much. You know, we have this conflict and pretty significant conflict and you look at what happened you go back to 1973 and you look at what some of these mutants have done and again you kind of have to go on the one hand i kind of see where like trask is coming from and these guys they're like yeah this is Uh freaking terrifying like Uh uh-huh we've got this dude who picks up a baseball stadium and floats it and drops it around the white house we've got to have an answer to this because all he's got to do is, you know, somebody just needs to take a piss in his Cheerios and he's going to go on a rampage. And, and so you've got all of this where I look at it and go, I'm again, you know, the way they portray some of these mutants, you're like, yeah, they're kind of not wrong. Like they would be pretty dangerous to have around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I did write down one thing that I got to say, because, mm-hmm. I, I see, I, I need to see if, if this, I can't remember if this is going to tickle a memory in your mind or if you're too young, but when, uh, when Logan pulls up to the X mansion, did you see what car he was driving? Um, I, I noticed it, but I don't remember now. It was a glorious black Buick Riviera. Oh, now our mother's mother had this blue just glorious oh yes blue oh yes that i remember the riviera was a work of art so much space oh so beautiful and those big long doors i remember thinking when i was younger man if one of those doors if you were parked on a hill and one of those doors tried to close on your leg that's it say adios to that leg because it's gone it's dead it's game over Anyway, yeah. I wrote down the Buick Riviera rules when he pulls up in front of the X Mansion because it was Here's a beautiful, the thing. beautiful car. Here's the thing: uh, cars were the best in the seventies. We've we peaked as a designing species for cars, at least in the seventies, and that hurts my soul because the cars should look better in twenty twenty two than they did in nineteen seventy four, but they do not. Not really. They really don't. I just like them long and I like them big and I like them 
navigable on the ocean, apparently. I want them to be the size of a boat. <laughs> uh, glorious old Cadillacs from the 70s as well, man. I was just thinking, I was just thinking of that old golden copper Cadillac that the Holmans, Holmans had, had, our yep. old neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, that was, was one glorious. of the greatest cars ever built, and you could fit nine teenagers in that sucker, even <laughs> though it was only supposed to fit five. <laughs> yeah, they made cars differently back then. Well, okay. So let's more talk about, about this movie. Yeah, let's talk about the movie. What are some other things that worked well for you? Uh, Dinklage is a delight. Dinklage is always a delight. Love when he shows up. Love, love that they didn't try any shenanigans with the fact that he's a little person. Yeah, that it's never not even, brought up. Yep. Never, never, not a single offhanded joke about his height or anything. It's just. He is a person and he is here. And I appreciate that because Dinklage is a good enough actor that he should just get these roles because he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. And that's how they played it. And that was right. 100%. Um, was very good. Agree. Um, Blink's portals. Loved it. They were Blink, cool. Blink, cool. And the, and the way they used more them. of her. Yep. She was, the way that she would use them in those fight scenes was very cool. Some of the coolest fight scenes we've seen in any of these movies so far, because they really played with some of these powers that we haven't really seen before. However, what is Warpath's power? Uh, That was one of my questions. Uh, I didn't even know until a little bit later on in the movie. Like I couldn't figure it out until Kitty says he can sense them coming. Yeah, I'm going to look him up because I don't know what the slightest thing about what his superpower is. Also, what is Bishop's superpower? I was going to ask you that. I I was hoping you could tell me because I had no idea whatsoever. It looked like... It seemed like he was maybe a battery who then turned his battery into gun. Yes. Okay. So I'm doing a little... Are you Bishop's looking up mutant Bishop? ability allows him to absorb all forms of radiant and conductive energy and then release that energy from his body. So yeah, he's a battery. He sucks in uh power and then he puts it into gun. Okay. That's a dumb that's a dumb power. Well, let's just say that at least in terms of the comics warpath, uh he is nothing at all. Uh, like what we saw in the movie, because in this, I was going to say superhuman physical ability in virtual all areas and is seven foot, two inches tall. I'm looking at that and thinking to myself, why didn't you cast a seven foot person? He apparently held his own in a direct fight against the juggernaut. The air pressure from one of his claps causes a set. Now I understand. I look at the top of this and I see the picture that they have on this Wikipedia thing. And I think to myself, Oh, that black and silver motif, that's from when the uh, X-Men had a Wetworks crew that that Wolverine was running. Their entire job was like, let's go murder people. (laughs) So like, why did you bring this guy onto the murder team? I understand it now. He can also fly? Yeah. Has super strong... This guy's cool. This guy's real cool. Yeah. We definitely got a toned down version of this. Dang, man. I mean, I guess he had strength to fight the Sentinels with knives, but like, sure didn't seem that did not seem as cool as it seems like in the comics. Definitely. Sorry, Boo Boo Stewart. Um, tell me. Well, let me tell you the difference, the differences that I could figure out between the two versions. Okay. So, Please do. And you you'll need to help me know what happens in 
the uh, I'm trying to find the so I can take there we go in in the movie at some point when something is happening to uh, I, I think okay now I remember it is when they're at the Paris Peace Accords and Logan sees a young striker this causes a pretty significant sort of psychic shift where all of a sudden he starts struggling and he's kind of freaking out. Did that happen in the version you saw? Yeah. Okay. And in the midst of that, he slashes Kitty Pride's side with his claws. Yes. So what happens from that? Does any, I mean, is, what's uh, the fallout of that happening? The, the, the fallout of that is that Kitty is weakened um, and so they're worried she's not going to be able to keep doing it. And everyone is like, no, you just got to keep doing it. Okay. Um, and she just keeps doing it and looks worse and worse as the movie goes on because she's slowly bleeding to death. Okay. In the rogue cut, Bobby expresses his concerns that she's not going to be able to sustain this because she is losing blood and she's too weak and suggests that, Hey, we know someone who can absorb powers and he kind of looks at Magneto and is like, like she did yours and could take over and do this for us. And turns out that rogue is basically being held in the X mansion in where Cerebro is and is being experimented on because they're also trying to figure out how to now modify the Sentinels to not just adapt to the powers because of Raven's DNA information they got, but they want to use rogues to figure out if they can also get the sentinels to absorb the powers of the mutants that they're running into. And so Xavier's huh. like, well, yeah, they're in the X mansion. They got to lock down, but ha ha, that's my place. I know place. I know how to get in that. They don't know how to go. And so Bobby and Magneto go to the X mansion, break in following Xavier's instructions on how to get in through the sewers and, and all this stuff. They get in, they find Rogue. How did they have time to go get her? They flew really, really fast from China back to, to wherever this was. I don't. Okay. Yeah. I know. Trust me. So they go back, they get her, they grab her, bring her back over now. And again, by the time you think about this, you're like, wow, this has been quite some time that Kitty Pride's just been sitting here bleeding out still. Um, In the midst, in the middle of that fight, Bobby is holding off like four sentinels so that Magneto and rogue can escape and he gets melted and dies. Okay. So Bobby gets killed there. Okay. Fast forward. Boom. Rogue comes back. She touches Kitty. She steals her power. Kitty then kind of leans over on the side and then just sort of sits there and watches for the rest of the movie and doesn't do anything. And then rogue takes over doing the hands on the side of the head sort of thing. Um, I'm trying to see what other changes there were. Well, that sounds like a totally unnecessary change. So I see why they cut that. Cause that's a dumb and pointless. Quick question. How do the Sentinels find the X-Men in that Chinese temple? Do they just show up or is they there just, anything? They just show up. They okay. Show up. So that's one other thing in this as as they're flying away from the X mansion, a sentinel lands on the plane. They do some evasive maneuvers, knock it off. But in the meantime, like 
its arm as they're, you know, as, as parts of the plane are moving to make it fly super duper fast, its arm gets like trapped and ripped off. And so then they land and the arm starts flashing red and like it's sending out a signal telling the others where they are. So that's how they're able to find it. Well, them. why wouldn't it? You know? Why wouldn't it? So I think that's the main issues. You do get a final mid credit scene with Boulevard Trask imprisoned in Magneto's prison. Um, don't know why they felt that seems in there. That seems unnecessary. Yeah, he's it, a, like it literally just pans over a, that same. He's a normal dude. I mean, I already thought to myself, the conceit of there being a weird metal free prison in the center of the Pentagon is the dumbest shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, let's be honest. That prison break is dumb. There's no reason. However, but it is stupid. But ev er, I will go to the mat. For the Quicksilver scene. The Quicksilver scene is a choice. It's very good. It ruled in 2014 and it, makes, and it still rules. It it makes Joss Whedon even more of a criminal than he already is. <laughs> and why is that? Is it because of because what the choices he made with Quicksilver in Age of Ultron? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because the Age of Ultron Quicksilver is such a waste mm-hmm. in comparison to the Quicksilver we see here. He's barely in the movie. He's in the movie long enough to be like, oh, I'm a delinquent. I can go really fast. And they're like, do you want to be a delinquent with us? And he's like, sure. Mm-hmm. And then he shenanigans for five minutes, the five most delightful minutes of the movie, and then just like disappears. Yep. Which it's was great. a shame because he was a great character in that. If I'm remembering correctly. I think correctly, if it had been any more, I think if it had been any more, it would have become grating and we'd have been like, didn't need as much Quicksilver it was. I think it was the absolute perfect amount. Yeah, that's probably a good point. If I'm remembering, I don't remember which movie, I feel like there is an upcoming movie where Quicksilver shows up again and they try to recapture the awe of that scene in the Pentagon and it falls really flat. It, it feels way too much like a try hard redo sort of thing, but I, I don't remember. I could be making this up because in fact, one thing I did make up that I had to confess to you via text. I thought the reason Wolverine was the one who they sent back was different than what it was. You were right. All it is is because he can heal. I called it. And I, I thought it. for some reason in my head, I had dreamt up this idea that the reason this that they sent him back was because he basically doesn't age. There was no like like his brain, like his body was exactly the same, so it was easier for his brain, his future mind to settle into his past body because it was exactly the same, basically. So that I don't know I don't know why I where I came that, that idea came from. I, I have no idea. That was what I thought it was. I was wrong. You hundred percent called it. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> um, Apparently, I just having looked it up, it looks like he's in both Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix. Um, I'm going to guess that if they do a scene like that, it'll be in Apocalypse. That's my that's my educated guess because it seems like the sort of thing that they it seems like the sort of magic they would try to capture in a bottle twice and it yeah. won't have worked. There was one thing as they were talking about the Sentinels, uh, the Sentinels, there, there were a couple times where 
as Trask is describing what he's creating, all I could think was, oh, this is exactly Project Insight from uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Um, yeah, yeah, essentially. And I mean, that's a thing. I, I, it, uh, Precog has been a thing forever. Uh, yes. pre, what's it called? Uh, Minority Report, 2002. Yep. You know, that's a big movie based on a very good short story by Philip Dick, The Minority Report. Every, most every Philip Dick short story is good. Y'all should read some Philip Dick. If you've never read any Philip Dick, read some of his short stories. They're great. Um, so, yeah, that wasn't surprising to me. Precog, I can find where the baddies are and then kill them. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Fine. I think maybe one of the reasons that that irritated me a little bit, I don't know if I'd say irritated, but I don't know. It, it felt a little ham-fisted in a different way than it feels ham-fisted in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Cause it still is fairly ham-fisted in there, but there was just, and maybe it's my bias that I think Captain America and the Winter Soldier is one of the very best comic book movies that I've ever seen. Uh, sure. But I don't know. There was just something about these that there were there were a few moments that just didn't work for me. I mean, there's a whole peace talk that Trask gives that I'm like, I, I hear the words you're saying, but they're not making any sense. Nothing that you're saying makes any sense. Oh, yeah. No, that was that was really flaccid. That whole section was really dumb. Um, yeah. I also felt like Again, and, and we kind of hinted at this, but it felt like it just wrapped up too tidy for me. Like, you know, it, Wolverine waking up there in the X Mansion, and basically everybody's there, and everything's back. To they normal. even had they even had Kelsey Grammer come back for a thirty a thirty a ten second cameo as real Beast. Like, yeah, three. I was like three to four. It, I don't know. He is there long enough for you to be like, oh, damn, that's, that's, that's good. That, that's Fraser Crane. <laughs> so here's, here's why I think I dislike this movie so much. Oh, please. Let's, let's get to final, final thoughts here. I'm very curious to see why you felt so strongly about it. Because like, like I said, I think, uh, it was more hits than misses still is kind of a mess. Um, like why was striker there to do nothing? And I agree that it is more hits than misses. Like I say, I am perfectly comfortable saying that I think that it is one of the very best made X-Men movies. And I can understand why it is ranked on, you know, it's rotten tomato score is as high as it is. But I think the thing for me is this, this is an extremely bleak movie. Oh yeah. And we all know I don't watch scary movies because I have enough stress in my life as it is, especially right now. And sure. this movie is just, I think that this is what it is. I think it is too stressful for me. The whole time I'm watching it, it just feels like things are getting worse and worse and worse and shit's falling apart more and more and bad things are happening. And I don't like, like the humans were supposed to, you know, again, they're kind of the enemy, but at the same time, I'm like, but they've got a point. And the mutants who are supposed to be our heroes are a bunch of irredeemable 
dicks for the most part at certain points, at least in their existence. And I cannot get over Charles Xavier being a mind manipulating asshole all the time to everybody everywhere. Yep. Like the amount of times he just blatantly violates people's, you know, very existence with his mind is super, super fucked up. And, and Magneto again, we've said this before, in a lot of ways, Magneto's right, but then they have to take him and turn him in to such a mustache twirling, snidely whiplash caricature of a villain for no other reason than they weren't creative enough to come up with a better answer or something. I don't know. It just, yeah. it ends up making me mad because I'm like, and then the payoff for all this tension, you can give me tension for two plus hours if you give me a satisfying payoff that is a, 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 an appropriate denouement to this tension that I've been feeling and Wolverine waking up in the X mansion is just a bullshit scene. Honestly, they shouldn't have even had the flash forward. No, this is why. And this is maybe one of the biggest differences between this and the comic. In the comic Days of Future Past, which I recommend, it's one of Claremont's like seminal stories from the 80s. It's really good. The biggest difference is it is Kitty Pride who gets sent into her past body, not Wolverine. Kitty Pride is your main character, which mm-hmm. I think improvement. Jackman on his game ruled in this movie. Yep, loved it. Totally. Hamming it up. He was great. Uh, but Kitty Pride's a better character. I like her better than Wolverine. I. My Wolverine is named Laura and she has only two claws. Okay. That's neither here nor there. Uh, But in the end of that, like they think they pull everything off. Kitty's uh, future self goes back into her future self body. As you're the reader, you stay with the present day X-Men and you have no idea whether it works or not. And that's where it ends with them just hoping and praying that things turned out the way they were supposed to. And granted, years later, it gets messy and uh, it turns out that basically what that caused is a, you know, a split in the timelines. So that terrible Days of Future Past future does still exist, but the main, it's not the main timeline anymore. It becomes like a fractured you know, offshoot timeline. Also, that's where Rachel Summers comes from. One of the best mutants. And she wasn't even in this movie. Granted, the movie was already too long. Yeah, it was. It was too long. You couldn't have fit Rachel in there, too. But I did miss Rachel Summers being in there. I just like I I like when Cyclops and Jean Grey have a daughter who gets turned into a bad guy and gets cool face tattoos, but then decides to be the good guy. That's all. There you go. I mean, who doesn't who doesn't like that? Because you're wrong. <laughs> Sounds pretty cool to me. I just she's, Rachel Summers is great. She's the best. She is the best and most effective host of the Phoenix Force. She's been the host of the Phoenix Force like three or four times. It shows up. She sucks it in. Does some cool crap. Throws it out again, and she's like, oh, "I'm back to who I was. It's fine. It's fine. Doesn't have to ruin my life like my mom." Yeah. She's cool. I really like Rachel Summers, so I'm sad that she's not in this movie, even though, again, how would you have even fit her in? So it's <laughs> fine. 
Well, like I say, I, I think that that's why I did not enjoy this movie uh, so much. I, I can't come up with anything else. I just know that, that when it was done, I, I was angry. I was angry that I had <laughs> spent that time watching that movie, even though I recognized that it, like I was more angry at the end of watching this movie than I was at the end of X-Men origins Wolverine. Interesting. I just, I'm, I, I, I don't know that I could feel that much anger towards most movies. Cause oh, that movie had me so mad. No, that's okay. And, and like I say, that's why I wanted, I was looking forward to talking about it to see what your thoughts were because it, it is, and I think it's that conflict where I look at it and I say, wow, this is better than a bunch of these X-Men movies that we've watched. But I really, oh, I did not enjoy watching it and I do not want to watch it. I would not choose to watch it again. That's um, fair. And so, you know, it was, it was interesting. And, and again, our post-credit scene with Apocalypse, it, you might, I might recommend that you watch that very, very brief scene before we watch X-Men Apocalypse just to see how completely no clue whatsoever they had with when they decided they were going to do something with that character. I mean, he didn't look like Ivan Ooze. It's just, it's very interesting that that was what they showed at the end because it is like nothing like what we get in, in X-Men apocalypse that I remember. And, but then again, I only saw that movie once back when it came out too. So who knows? Who knows? Interesting. And it's not like there was a big space between them. It came out in 2016. Yeah. It was just a couple, it of was years. directed by singer. So know. they clearly just did not, they, they just, I think they just said, on ah, we want to do something with apocalypse, but we don't know what we're doing. So let's just shit this stupid post credit scene out. I mean, I guess, <laughs> I don't know. I need to probably take a deep breath and calm down because I'm feeling anxiety just talking about this movie and I don't have a good explanation <laughs> <for it> either. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's been, man, I'm not going to lie. It, I'll, here, let me put into perspective how this week has been. I get up at four o'clock Tuesday morning and this is just an example because every morning is the same. Get up at four o'clock. I go and I take my pre-workout. I got 150 milligrams of caffeine in there and I make the scoop a little extra. So I got some more. I go, I work out. How much is 150 milligrams of caffeine? I mean, a cup of coffee is like 80 to 90. Um, oh, well, 150. I, I drink double that every day. Come on. Well, no, just that's what I'm saying. Hear me out. So I go and I do that and then I go down and I work out and I come upstairs and I make sure boys are up getting ready to go to school and getting ready. And then I'm like, Hey, I got to write. Cause this is when I got to write and we'll talk about why we're writing later. But so then I sit down and do that and I'm like, I am falling asleep and it is freaking six 45 in the morning. This is not a good sign. So then I go and I have to grab an energy drink. That's got another 150 or 175 milligrams of caffeine. In it. And I got to slam that puppy down just so that I can get out the door. I get my son to school. I go to work. I'm at work from, you know, eight until, I mean, I'm in clinics seeing a bunch of patients and I have to go down and do a couple surgeries and stuff from eight until at five. Then I got to go down and I got to do a Facebook live uh, asking for a friend men's health seminar with a couple other, with a few other doctors. So I run down Look. there and I do this Facebook live thing until 6.15. And then at 6.15, I run home and I change out of my... Uh, 
my my clothes that I wore for the Facebook Live thing, so that then I can run over to a, a friend's house and with my my group of friends we can play Dungeons and Dragons. And I get there at like six forty at his house, and I go and I sit down to play, and I'm like, "Damn, I have had a protein shake and a small chocolate chip cookie today, and that is it." Doc, you got to feed yourself. <laughs> That's just what it's like these days. I can't. Oh, it's it's too much. So anyway. <laughs> I think well, that, that's that's how see, I, that's what life has been like these days. So watching a movie that was tense without an a satisfying payoff, I think that that's why it just pissed me the f- off. Oh, so mad. I think I think that that's extremely fair. That's extremely fair. <laughs> see, for me, the my life. Let me give you a, a scene into my life. I wake up. Alarm goes off at five forty-five. I'm usually awake by then because I usually wake up between five thirty, five forty-five. Sure. Doom scroll Twitter for a few until the <laughs> dogs can get out of bed. Usually let the dogs out around six-ish or so. Um, l- have a leisurely morning. Enjoy my first large mug of coffee. Um, I have a very so the thing that you don't realize until you become a coffee or tea drinker which many of our listeners who are mormon might not be teacups just accumulate and it's just a thing that happens you don't know how you don't know why but you end up having like 15 to 20 teacups in your home (laughs) it's fine we have two like trees of teacups that each have six. I have my six. Cassie has her six and there's still like four or five on the counter. Like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> That's impressive. But the thing, and I have various and sundry, very cute ones. I have a bunch of goofy Godzilla ones that have different things like uh, about Godzilla. You know, one of them has Godzilla blowing his atomic fire and it says all hail our Lord and savior. That's a winner. <laughs> one of them ha- says, Oh Lord, he coming. So like it with a big fat Godzilla, it's great. But the mug I use most frequently because of its size, is a Golden Girls mug that is big enough to fit the equivalent of two normal cups of coffee in it, like okay. two normal mugs. I love that. So that is my primary. Cu- like if that if that one's clean, I drink out of that one because I can fit twice as much in there, um, and just kind of like have it sit on my have it sit on my my uh, desk right in front of me between me and my keyboard, and I just let the the beautiful smells waft up into my nose while I sip my coffee and I do my morning writing and then I work literally from that exact same desk because I'm a work from home person and I just switch computers that's all I do is go from my personal computer to the work computer and then back if I don't have work to do because got to get them dailies done in Genshin somehow and I hang out with my dogs and I let them outside and I work and my wife comes home and we have dinner or lunch depending on what time she gets home and I just chill and then I go play Persona 5 so (laughs) for me movies is great movies is great yeah we lead lead different lives our choices have led us to different places (laughs) yes they have and right now I'm, I'm rethinking many of my choices let me tell you, nursing a big old cup of pumpkin spice coffee while you're checking your morning emails from your home office, it's pretty, it's pretty tight. It's pretty <laughs> except, tight. Except we have talked about this before. I don't nurse any beverages. I drink 
with purpose. If it is because I'm thirsty, I know, I don't understand then I'm going to just slam back as much cold water as I can. If it's because I, I need caffeine, that. it's how fast can I drink this down? I cannot do hot beverages because they make me drink them slowly. It's terrible. I can't do it. I <laughs> and, and maybe and again, maybe this comes also with not being Mormon because I didn't. I used to be like you. I used to be like this. You know what? You can't drink that fast. Besides hot drinks. Don't do that with alcoholic beverages, my friends. <laughs> that is don't. why I have often told people, I'm like, it is a good thing I don't drink alcohol because I would just, you know, I would be the first one to get just absolutely smashed and hammered. No, because- what would happen? Uh, we've t- uh, I have thought about this because I've heard you say this and I know that what would happen is you would not, that's not what would happen. What would happen is your method of alcohol consumption would exclusively be shots. And you wouldn't take too many of them because you'd recognize you'd space them out. You'd drink a glass of water in between each one. You'd recognize when you were feeling a little tipsy, you'd be like, <laughs> I think I'd be done. But because of the way that you drink, I don't think that you would actually drink too much. I, I do either. think that your primary method of consumption would be, I would like a shot of bourbon. And you would down that shot of bourbon in one delicious gulp. And then you would wait an hour, a half an hour to an hour until you're feeling like a second. And then you would pour yourself a second. There you go. There you go. You might be right. That might be what I did. But for those of us who like to nurse, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful life. <laughs> well, you know, I think that really what this tells me is I just need to start meditating. I need to find ways to soothe my, uh, my mind because clearly I'm getting worked up about things that are nowhere near important enough for me to be getting worked up about the way I am. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta calm down a little bit before we get to Andor because that is a tense show and I need you to enjoy it. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I appreciate the warning. That might mean quite honestly that I have to wait until January at the earliest because that's sad, but fair. I, I will say, um, and, and I think that we've talked about this in the past, but for me, October, November, and December are the absolute worst times of the year. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It makes me angry. And it is because my life just goes to absolute shit because like I am right now scheduled out doing surgeries until like the 17th of December. And I guarantee you that I'm going to have at least 10 to 15 people between now and Thanksgiving who think they need to have surgery tomorrow. I had a guy today say to my PA, well, can't he just do this surgery? That's completely unnecessary. That doesn't need that. That is a problem. This person has had for a few years at the least but Jeez. said today, well, can he do my surgery tomorrow? And my PA said, well, no, we can't add you on tomorrow. It's not an emergency. And he goes, well, then he needs to do it on Saturday. And she was like, wait, what, Saturday? And he goes, well, I've had to work on Saturday before, so so should he. Dog, it doesn't matter whether you had to work on Saturday flipping burgers or doing whatever the hell you're doing. No, 
What the does hell it matter? Here? I do work on Saturday. I'm on call this Saturday. I'm going to work this Saturday. But you know what we don't do on Saturday? We don't do elective, elective surgeries. surgeries. And why do we not do elective surgeries? Well, because for every one patient who wants to have an elective surgery, I need myself, a pre-op nurse, a PACU nurse, an anesthesia provider, an anesthesiologist backing up that anesthetist, a scrub tech, a circulating OR nurse, and I need an anesthesia tech in the OR. So that one person who thinks that they need to have their surgery done on a, on a and this is the thing people don't understand, but for every one person who's going to have surgery, there is a minimum of eight other people only in the perioperative arena who are required to take care of you. And so no, it's not just me. It's seven other people. And I'm not going to do that to them just because. Yeah. And that's just what my life is like between now and the end of the year, because everybody thinks the fact that they've met their out of pocket for the year means that now their elective procedure becomes my emergency. Ugh. And if I sound like I'm angry and I'm bitter, it might be because I am. And I definitely don't act this way or really feel this way when I'm taking care of people. It's just when they start making demands when I'm not taking care of them that I get really, really unhappy. Yeah. So it's all good. It's all good. But yeah, it means that I really do. I get increasingly uh, grumpy, increasingly uh, just it just gets really ugly between now and the end of the year. So, you know, I bet I'm if, sorry to hear that. That's, that's the way Andor is. It's good to know that I should probably get to a happy place first. I will. Yes. I, I will say you should probably wait until January and you know what? I can wait for you. I'll rewatch it in January <laughs> and then we can talk about it. I appreciate that. I, I truly do. It's very it's very good. I'm excited to uh, to talk about it with you at some point. I'm looking forward to watching it. I just, like I say, I need to be in a place where mentally I can handle it. So True enough. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Let's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'll find, like, forward to finding out what we're going to do in a couple weeks. And, uh, you know, we appreciate anybody who's listening, subscribed. Uh, please, if you haven't, subscribe, share the podcast. Uh, leave us a review, leave us a rating, uh, anything like that always helps, gets it out there, lets people know about it. And if you've got any feedback, reach out to us and let us know, feedback at the middle of culture.com. And uh, we'd be happy to address it uh, down the road at a future episode. And until then, thanks again, everybody. You too can prognosticate as to how Peter would drink his alcohol in the emails. Talk to you <laughs> later, friends. <laughs> <laughs>